Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. We're going to be looking at Acts 13, 13 to 52. If you want to take out your Bible or take out one of the Pew Bibles, Acts 13, 13 to 52, and we're going to look at the Apostle Paul's first sermon. Last Sunday, we looked at Antioch, the first part of Acts 13. We saw that it's a model church, and we looked at a number of characteristics of a healthy, worshipful, and missional church. And we talked about our roots going all the way back to that church at Syrian Antioch. And today we're going to look at the rest of the chapter and we're going to see that Paul and Barnabas are journeying northward from Antioch and the island of Cyprus. And they're going on their first missionary journey. It continues and we've got the Apostle Paul's first recorded sermon a sermon that shook that part of the world and continues to send ripples through history. What we're going to see in this passage is God's Old Testament promises are fulfilled in Jesus. That's what Paul was preaching. And the spread of his word, the gospel, cannot be stopped. That's the point of the passage. The word of God fulfilled in Christ and the unstoppable gospel that's beginning to make its way through the Gentile world. And at this point, we're about 500 miles outside of Jerusalem, and we've reminded ourselves that Jesus said in Acts 1-8, the gospel would go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, and we're beginning to see that. We're halfway through the book of Acts, and this is really starting to gain traction. Now, this is a longer passage 40 verses, so we're not going to read it. Instead, I'm going to give you a little synopsis up front, and then we're going to look at it bit by bit as we walk through it. And essentially what's happening in verses 13 to 52 is we get to hear a little description of their journey in verses 13 through 15, kind of the setting or the context of the passage. And then Paul begins to preach at verse 16 through 25. He gives a little introduction, and he recounts the history of Israel. He recounts the history of the word of God in just a few verses, similar to what Stephen did back in his message before his martyrdom. And really the heart of it, his message, the focus on the story of Jesus, his death and resurrection is at verses 26 through 37. And then Paul gives a conclusion, verses 38 through 41. And then we get to see various responses. So there's a lot here. Buckle up. But it is an amazing passage. Again, the first message that we have recorded that the Apostle Paul gave. And we want to pay careful attention to it. Not only do we want to learn how to pray the Bible, but those of us who teach or communicate or preach the Word of God, this is a model here. This is an example. The Apostle Paul did it this way. 
And so there's something to learn from it. And what we're going to see, the whole thing, is really an explanation of the scriptures. Everything that he is saying is rooted in the Bible, in the word of God. And you can't go wrong if that's the way that you teach and communicate. Get the word of God in you, and then you share it and explain it to other people. It's as simple as that. Before we look at this sermon, I want us to remember who this guy is. Okay, sometimes we just move into kind of the Apostle Paul mode and we see he wrote all these amazing letters. He wrote the book of Romans. He's going to go on to unpack many of the things that he mentions in this sermon in Galatians. Friends, this dude was a Christ hater a matter of a few years ago. He hated Christ. He hated Christians. It was his life purpose to hunt them down in their homes and throw them in prison. I don't think that we contemplate that enough. This guy was a mess. He was hell-bent. He was determined. He had resolved with all of his might to stamp out the gospel, to put out the word of God to fight with everything he had. And here he is, post-encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and all of that same capacity and fire and passion is now completely readjusted, and he is a Christ lover, a Christ preacher, a fellow sufferer with Christ. This is mind-blowing. Would you agree? So it could just go, by. Oh, this is... Paul's first message, but we have to keep reminding ourselves of who this man was. And through an encounter with the resurrected Jesus on the road, he saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus, and his whole life was transformed through an encounter with Jesus. And then he goes on to preach the unstoppable gospel. And we're going to see in the next chapter that they will take him outside of the city oftentimes and throw big rocks at him and pelt him and try to kill him. And what's he do? He gets up off the ground and he goes at it again. He's like, Barnabas, where's the next city? This dude is unstoppable. And yes, he was unique. He was an early messenger, an apostle. But friends, the same Holy Spirit that's on Paul is on us and fills us. He's not just in a complete unique category of his own. He becomes an example, doesn't he? This isn't my idea. This is what he says. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. Do what I do. You're filled with the same Holy Spirit. So let's look at this setting here, verses 13 through 15. Then Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos. Let's put a slide up there just so we can see it before this happens. You can let your eyes adjust there. You can see Antioch on the far right, Antioch of Syria. And then if you hang a left, kind of southward, westward, you can see the island of Cyprus. That's where they've been on the far left, Paphos there. And they're getting ready to sail up northward to Perga. They came to Perga and Pamphylia. John, this is John Mark, you remember, goes on to write the Gospel of Mark. He left and returned to Jerusalem. But they, Paul and Barnabas, went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. 
And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the officials of the synagogue sent them a message saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, give it. So Luke is giving us the setting, the context for this. Paul and Barnabas and John Mark are sailing north, a couple hundred miles going up from Paphos. And the point of recounting that in great detail is this requires a lot of work, a lot of energy, a lot of faith. They're moving into Asia Minor, it's modern-day Turkey. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? That they're sailing from Cyprus and going up into Asia Minor. We're going to see them in the province of Galatia, and then we're going to see them in this city of Pisidian Antioch. It's interesting. I mentioned this last week. If you look at verse 13, John Mark left them. Do you remember we saw that there was some friction, some tension with John Mark leaving? And I mentioned that we don't know the reason. We're not sure why he left. Commentators think maybe he was homesick. Maybe he resented the fact that while the ministry trip was happening, this first missionary journey, that the primary leadership began to shift from Barnabas to Paul. He was related to Barnabas, so maybe John Mark was frustrated with that. Who knows? It's all speculation, right? The text does not tell us. Maybe he saw Paul's bold evangelism of the Gentiles and said, man, you got to tone it down a little bit. Maybe he was sick. These were areas where malaria would break out. Maybe John Mark said, I'm sick. I don't want to climb over mountains. We don't know. We do know, this is interesting, that Paul ends up writing a letter to the Galatians, to the people where he is about to go right here. And he says, it was because of sickness that I first interacted with you. It was the first time I preached the gospel to you because I was sick. And the Lord used that sickness as an opportunity for me to come to your town. So we're not sure. The text doesn't tell us. We can read other letters of Paul, which is interesting to do, to take the book of Acts, these missionary journeys, and then look at them alongside Galatians and other letters that he writes to see if we can put the puzzle pieces together. But we don't know why John Mark left. We do know later in chapter 15 that Paul was really upset with him for this said you're basically pulling out on us and we needed you but eventually they make up and I mentioned that in Colossians 4 and 2 Timothy 4 Paul and John Mark make up now let's put that map back up there if we can from Perga they're going on to Pisidian Antioch so again you can see that large landmass right in the center P-E-R-G-A, Perga there, and they're going to climb over mountains and journey another 100 miles, almost 4,000 feet above sea level. And they are coming to Pisidian Antioch. Let's say that together. Pisidian Antioch, right? And I mentioned to you how many Antiochs there were. We know of about 16 16 different Antiochs. So I apologize on behalf of the text here. This is not Syrian Antioch over there to the right where they started the home base. This is Antioch of Pisidia. And friends, it was kind of out in the boonies. 
what the Lord was leading them and even using Paul's sickness to take them into this region. And as was their custom, this is the way Paul and Barnabas did it and others, they went into the synagogue, the local synagogue, which was a place of conversation. Yes, it was a place for discussion about God and the word of God, but it was also a place to come and share ideas. And they went into the Sabbath. And you read there, the end of verse 14, the beginning of 15, the reading of the law and the prophets. Basically what would happen in these synagogue services, they would start with the Shema, which is a Hebrew word for hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. They would recite that prayer, then they would have some other prayers and readings from, as it says here, the law and the prophets. And then they would have someone give an exposition of the passages that had just been read. So Paul and Barnabas roll into town, and when it's a a town like that, you're in the local synagogue, you know when someone is an outsider, when they're a visitor. So they recognize Paul and Barnabas. Some people think also that Paul probably wore something that signaled that he was a rabbi. So he came into the synagogue wearing something, and they said, he's a rabbi. They probably learned that he had studied with Gamaliel, the well-known rabbi. And so they asked him to give a message there. Brothers, if you have any word, little did they know what was about to happen. They were inviting the flamethrower known as Paul into their community to comment on the word of God, which he did because he was a faithful Jew and he knew those scriptures back and forth. He had been blinded to the very scriptures that would have been read. He did not see their fulfillment in Christ. But then he did. In Acts 9, we read. So he's got a whole new worldview, a whole new view of the Bible, and he's getting ready to share that. Let's look at it at verse 16. I'm going to read 16 to 25. Paul stands up with a gesture, probably calling attention. He begins to speak. You Israelites and others who fear God, listen The God of this people Israel chose our ancestors and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. For about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Sorry, I got to just stop there. God puts up with them. He puts up with us, doesn't he? For about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. After he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. For about 450 years. After that, he gave them judges until the time of the prophet Samuel, verse 21. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. When he had removed him, he made David their king. In his testimony about him, he said, I have found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after my heart who will carry out all my wishes. Of this man's posterity, his descendants, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. 
Before his coming, John had already proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his work, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I'm not him. I'm not he. No, but one is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of the sandals on his feet. So look at what Paul's doing in those verses. He's giving an introduction in his message. He's distilling the whole history of Israel here in a few verses. And he begins by saying, you Israelites and others who fear God, we learn that others who fear God are the Gentiles in these cities that have left their pagan religion. They've stopped worshiping Zeus and Aphrodite and the others, and they've attached themselves to the Jewish people. So they're kind of believers on their way. And he says, listen, and I'm going to recount to you what God has done. So Paul's message is all about who God is and what God has done with the people of Israel. Look at verse 17. He points out, and again, we're just seeing here the sovereignty of God. God chose our ancestors. He made them great in Egypt, and he delivered them with his hand, his power. I already noted this, but he put up with their complaining in the desert. For 49 years, he drove out seven nations before them, and he gave them the land. It's kind of a round number here. 400 years in Egypt serving, 40 years in the desert, and then about 10 years to conquer the land. It's pretty remarkable here what he's able to do in a few verses, isn't it? To take all of those different books of the Bible and all of that history and to offer a concise summary here. He says, God gave them judges. Look at verse 18, until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then he gave them Saul. Then he replaced Saul with David. The point of this is God chose them. God put up with his people Israel, and then he provided leadership for them. He didn't leave them alone. Even in their rebellion, God appointed leaders to guide them. And then really the heart of this talks about, look at verse 22. When he removed Saul, he made David their king. He said, I found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my heart. The point of this, what he's saying here, is that from David, this unlikely candidate, God promised that from David, his descendants, a great Messiah, a great king would come. And Paul is pointing that out. And he's basically saying to them, can you see it? God's setting all this up. And I'm going to tell you about the king that David was promised that would come through him. And he points to the fact that many thought at the end there, verse 25, they thought that John the Baptist was the Messiah. He was preaching repentance. He was full of fire. People were listening. Great effect on the people of Israel. And they thought, are you the one? And he says, no. He says, I'm not. I can't even do the work of a servant around this guy because he is so great and glorious. I'm not even worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. Look at verse 26 here. This is really the heart of the whole passage. He lays that out. He identifies with them as a fellow Jew. He points to the scriptures. And then the real center of what he's going to say here is found in verses 26 through 37. 
The focus is the story of Jesus that's preached through the Old Testament. Look at this, verse 26. My brothers, you descendants of Abraham's family and others who fear God, to us the message of the salvation has been sent. Because the residents of Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize him or understand the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, they fulfilled those words by condemning him. Even though they found no cause for a sentence of death for Jesus, they asked Pilate to have him killed when they had carried out everything that was written about him. They took him down from the tree, from the cross, and laid him in a tomb. Friends, this is the gospel preached from the Old Testament. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And they are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that What God promised to our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, so he's going to give some evidence here from the scriptures. You are my son, today I've begotten you. As to his raising him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy promises made to David. Therefore, he has also said in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One experience corruption or decay. And then look what he says at verse 36. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, died. He was laid beside his ancestors and experienced corruption or decay. But he whom God raised up experienced no corruption. So Paul is preaching to them the story of Jesus, the promised Messiah, and this will be Paul's message from here on out. Opening the scriptures, explaining like Jesus did in Luke 24 that the very Old Testament scriptures preach him. Jesus is the focus of his message here. Jesus is the story of our message. Not John the Baptist, not Paul, not any other idea. It's a message of salvation. Then he goes on to show them through three verses. Look at verse 33. He uses Psalm 2, he uses Isaiah 55, and he uses Psalm 16 to show them in their very book. Can you see it? Can you see the Messiah is promised here? And again, most likely, all of this was in Paul's heart. He didn't have a scroll that he's unrolling, and he had this committed to memory. He was meditating on the word of God. It was stored inside of him. So in a moment like this, he could call up the passages that Jesus had highlighted to him. Psalm 2, Isaiah 55, Psalm 16, 10. It can be a little strange for us, can't it, to look at something like Psalm 16, And think, how in the world does that preach Jesus? But the point of it is David did not fulfill these passages. They were given. They were pointing to David. But there was someone else way beyond David that would fulfill these passages. That is what Paul's point is here. 
David died. David experienced corruption. His corpse was buried next to his ancestors. He decayed. The text says one will come one day. And he won't experience decay. He will be raised from the dead. Friends, this is rich. This is the message of the Apostle Paul that he'll go on to explain, especially in the book of Galatians and the book of Romans. Then he makes an application. Let's look at that briefly. Look at verse 38. How are we doing? Trying to condense the Apostle Paul's preaching. It's massive in just a few minutes. And the whole point is the power of the word of God. God promised a Messiah. He came in the person of Jesus. And here Paul is saying, I've encountered him. Let me show you in the word of God where it described him and foretold his coming. Then now he's going to tighten the screws a little bit. Look at verse 38. Paul's saying to these Jewish people, these Gentile God-fearers, let it be known to you, therefore, my brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. By this Jesus, everyone, who believes is set free. Look at that. By this Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from all those sins from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. That's the gospel right there. Beware, therefore, that what the prophets said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers. Be amazed and perish, for in your days I am doing a work, a work that you will never or would not believe even if someone tells you. Paul is giving an application here to his message. And again, this is just a few years into his walk with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit has given him such insight into the scriptures, the word of God, the Old Testament, that he's now warning his other fellow Jews and God-fearers, Jesus has come. He alone can set you free. He'll go on to say that the law is a good thing, won't he? He'll go on to say in Galatians 3 that the law is like a tutor or a school teacher, and it can actually lead you and bring you to Christ. But you need Christ. You don't just hang out with your school teacher your whole life. The law is a good thing. The law is like an x-ray machine. I heard a pastor give an image of this one time that the law is a wonderful thing, right? The book of the law, the Torah, the scriptures, it's a guide, it's awesome, it's wonderful. Paul will say it's fulfilled in Christ, but it's like an x-ray machine. If you go to the doctor, you've messed up your arm, you're pretty certain there's a fracture in there, but you need to have it x-rayed, and you go, and they take an x-ray, and sure enough, there's a fracture in there. And so the doctor says, hey, I've got the printout of your fracture. Would you like to take it home with you? And you said, yeah, I think that sounds great. Could I have that, and could I get it blown up so it's rather large because I'm going to wrap it around my arm and tape it up and then I'm going to go home. So thank you, doctor. I'm out of here. 
that's kind of like the law. The law is an x-ray machine that shows you where the fractures are in your life. Shows us. We read it. The Apostle James says it's like a mirror. You look into it and it reflects back to you how much you need God. But how foolish is it to think that we take the x-ray and wrap it around our arm without saying, hey, doc, I need you to set the bone. I need a cast here. We need the doctor, right? And so the law, as Paul is saying here, he's saying Jesus is the one who sets you free at verse 39. He is the one who sets you free from your sins. The law, all, all the law does is diagnose the problem and show you how much you need God's forgiveness. That's the point. Friends, look at that. Jesus sets you and me all free from the sins that we couldn't be set free from. Do you have some sins today you need to be set free from? I've got things that I'm praying about. Lord, I need to be set free. I know this is a battle until the day we die. I'm working through certain things in my heart that Amanda and I talk about. She shares with me and we get on our knees and say, Lord, you have to set us free. You have to transform us. But I just have a sense today that maybe some of us have some things that we are absolutely stuck in. And friends, just reading the Bible or gritting your teeth isn't going to cut it. You have to come to Jesus. You got to come to him and say, this is what's in me. This is what's on me. I got some barnacles I need you to take off. I got a broken arm or two. I got a broken leg. He's the only one that can do it. So I want us to take just a moment here. I want you to ask him, Jesus, is there anything that you want to highlight to set me free from today? Why don't you just close your eyes? Search our hearts, Holy Spirit. If he's speaking to you about something that you need to get set free from today, it's a good time to do it. So I'm going to ask the ministry team to come up. Worship team can come back up as well. Friends, Jesus is the only one who can set us free. Whatever it is that you're wrestling with, grappling with, you fill in the blank. Could be an addiction, could be a secret sin, could be unforgiveness, could be jealousy. He doesn't just point it out. He points it out so that he can heal you. 
I even sensed as Luke was sharing that story with those middle school guys that the Lord wants to do that with us. He likes to clean house regularly if we open up to him. and He's the great physician. Why don't we stand? There's a lot more in this text. We didn't look at how people responded. Maybe we'll do that next week. We're going to start with chapter 14. But I want us to just see the power of the word of God. This is the Apostle Paul. He's experienced this. He's been set free from sin, and now he turns to these people, and he says, Jesus can set you free too. He can transform you and set you on a whole new course of life. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that your word goes to work on us, that it's unstoppable. Thank you that your word was spreading through the world at that time, and how much more now? We say that your word... Your gospel will go to the end of the earth. All nations will hear and then the end will come. We love you, Lord.